Today's podcast is brought to you by Sukup Manufacturing. Sukup is the world's largest family-owned and operated manufacturer of grain storage, grain drying and handling equipment, and steel buildings. Learn more at sukup.com. That's S-U-K-U-P dot com. Among other surprises, the September WASD brought with it an unexpected update from the National Agricultural Statistics Service. Will the new info provide more clarity for markets ahead of harvest? That's today on Field Posts. is a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Ma- The September WASD dropped Friday, September 10th. With this report, the National Agricultural Statistics Service updated planted or harvested acreage adjustments for a range of crops, a change that usually isn't available until the October report and which raised some fears and uncertainties in the market. DTN's Todd Holtman joins us today to unpack this move by USDA, as well as to update production and demand figures for the major grain crops. We'll talk more about the weather factor going into harvest, ethanol demand, and what might be on the horizon for biofuels policy, and what pressure in the wheat market might mean for acres on the edge. We'll get into livestock market impacts and China's tireless demand right after this word from our sponsor. Control your harvest, control your cost, and increase your profit. Sookup Manufacturing is here to help you do it. Sookup offers a full line of bins ranging from small on-farm storage bins to large commercial tanks, including our 2.2 million bushel bin, the world's largest free-span bin. All Sookup bins are constructed from high-grade steel. Visit sukup.com to find your local Sookup dealer today and learn how we can help you store now and profit later. DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us today to discuss the September world supply and demand estimates. Todd, so we had kind of a bit of a crazy report on uh, late last week. So give us kind of the top line update. What were what were you expecting going into this September WASDE and what did you see coming out? Well, uh, we had been warned by NAS that uh, they may adjust the planted acre estimates in this report, which is a month earlier than they usually do that. And because of that, we were a little bit on guard and suspicious that the acres, especially for corn, uh, might go up as much possibly as 2 million acres. But that did not happen. Uh, The acres did go up by 600,000 acres. So the new planting estimates, 93.3 million Uh, I think that uh, the market took that as fairly reasonable and uh, less than feared. So there was maybe a bit of a sigh of relief that the corn estimates did not turn out more bearish than they actually did. At the end of the day, uh, we're still looking at roughly a 15 billion bushel corn crop, uh, which has kind of been the anticipation, I think, most of the season. And ending stocks were raised up to 1.41 billion bushels on the new crop corn. So we're going to have uh, what looks like a more, uh, uh, a little safer corn supply this year, more margin, uh, more comfort zone. And um, I think overall that's going to ease some of the concerns that end users have. Will they be able to get corn in the, in the season ahead? And 
Uh, at least according to USDA right now, the answer is yes, they should have a better shot at it. Yeah, I'm curious from your perspective, you know, having watching watched these tight supplies get seemingly get tighter and tighter all throughout the year, was this, uh, does this seem real to you? Um, I, I would say it's fairly reasonable for where we're at. So uh, I think, you know, anytime we were talking about six and seven dollar corn prices not that long ago, um, everybody's kind of on red alert about uh, will they be able to get corn in the year ahead. And um, so I think there's, you know, a lot of plans being made as much as possible. Can we ration back on the corn? Um, And not only here in the U.S., but also that's, I think, a big motivation and incentive for that in China and uh, they've made an effort, I think, to ration some of their corn back. So I think people were bracing uh, overall for the notion that we may have another year of tight supplies ahead. And given all of that kind of uh, atmosphere, uh, I think the production estimates reasonable. And I would have to say that I think the early demand estimates are fairly decent starting points for what we know at this time. Okay. I'm curious too, harvest is getting started, you know, in in many parts of the country or has been underway for for a little while in some places. Um, You know, are you watching any, do you have any kind of last weather concerns as we kind of get into these, these really key months in terms of harvest or anything that could upend these numbers or make them, you know, make a a bad guess or of USDA at this point in terms of weather? (laughs) You know, uh, Sarah, maybe I should be a little more uh, frightened or, you know, uh, uh, but I, I, I seem to be pretty relaxed with this 15 billion bushel estimate. I think that's been kind of uh, the number for the last couple months here. And it's actually uh, close to we had our DTN digital yield tour a month ago and they came up with a yield of 176.5. So that was also kind of right on target. Uh, for what they were looking at. But I I just think now that we've gotten at least one uh, uh, run through of field data from USDA, uh, and it seems to confirm what um, largely what we've been seeing uh, all year long, and that is we've got a real tough situation in the Northwestern Corn Belt, but the Eastern Corn Belt and a lot of the other states look really good. I'm pretty content uh, that I, I think we're close to the production estimate on this one. I, I just uh, expect minor tweaks from here forward. Interesting. Um, I want to talk a little bit too about that. You know, you mentioned that NAS moved up um, that acreage estimate and, you know, they talked a bit about doing that just because they felt like they had enough data to do it. Um, I'm curious what you thought about that. Is that, you know, is this maybe a new trend that we're seeing or is this unique to you know, this unusual year or, you know, are, are we seeing, yeah. What are we seeing in terms of, you know, is is that just like a slight change or just a, I'm curious what your take on that, you know, moving that up a month is not dramatic, but you know, why is NAS shifting this stuff around? Yeah. Well, I'm still scratching my head over that one. uh, Quite honest. Um, It, I think uh, part of my suspicion was that maybe they had enough a participation in the early FSA surveys that they felt they had enough uh, information and good sample size to come out uh, with an, an estimate on the acres that they uh, felt strong enough about. So 
that's probably the best guess I have for you. Uh, you know, apart from knowing the inner workings behind the closed doors, uh, I can't say for sure, but that's probably my best guess. And as far as the yield estimate, uh, I think a lot of us thought the 174.6 in August was kind of nice to see. It was a fairly bullish number, but I think a lot of us were suspicious that that was just going to be too low when the Eastern Corn Belt came through here. Yeah, I want to stay on corn for a little bit longer and talk about kind of that global picture. Um, you know, as the as the world swings back to focusing on the U.S. Uh, as you know, corn comes in this fall. Uh, what are you watching overseas? What what's happening in China? What's happening in uh, Latin America? Yeah, well, you know, we continue to watch uh, the corn prices in China itself from the Dalian Exchange. And they've largely been trending slowly lower this fall, uh, kind of normal seasonal pressure that you would expect. And uh, I, I've been telling people, I think there's two clues from it. Either, uh, number one, I don't think they had a significant production problem this year. There was some concern earlier that maybe they had excess rain in uh, the northeastern growing areas where they grow a lot of the corn and bean crops. And perhaps that would cause some damage, but the prices just never showed that. So uh, we were able to let go that notion. And the other thing is we know that China politically has made a big push to try to ration back their use of corn. And would they have success in doing that? And I'm still skeptical that they'll be able to do it by any significant amount. But it is possible that around the edges, they have been able to uh, pull back on some of their corn demand. So that I, I think the best clues, once again, have come from that corn price itself. And actually, I think it also kind of confirmed or set us up for the notion that uh, in this report, Chi um, USDA actually increased China's corn crop estimate 5 million metric tons. So what that did was it narrowed the production deficit that they have from 26 or roughly a billion bushels down to 21 million metric tons or about 830 million bushels. So it, uh, it looks to us like they've had some success. They're still going to need to buy uh, probably 800 million bushels of corn. And there's a good chance that uh, as much as 700 million bushels of that could still come from the U.S. So it's, it's still supportive for the corn price overall. But once again, I think those high corn prices have had an effect in uh, ratcheting down some of that demand. Yeah. And I'm curious how you're watching uh, domestic demand as well, you know, in terms of uh, ethanol, we're coming to the end of the summer or we've come to the end of the summer driving season, I suppose. So taking stock of um, that and then looking ahead, but also, you know, what is where where is basis at the moment for corn? I should mention the uh, USDA did reduce the uh, ethanol demand or ethanol production estimate slightly, uh, but it's still well above 5 billion bushels. So that's going to come in good for the year that just ended on August 31. And then as far as basis, uh, basis has actually been weakening quite a bit. You know, it wasn't that long ago we were looking at cash corn prices in the mid sixes across most of the Midwest. Well, uh, a lot of that's uh, come down significantly and um, so we, we've seen a, a weaker basis here uh, the past, uh, really, probably the past two months. It's uh, really started to come down. Now, that's normal as we get near harvest. Uh, we're still at some of the strongest basis levels we've seen in eight years. 
uh, cash corn on a national average is roughly 11 cents above the December contract. So there's still a bit of a premium there. It's still a good demand situation, but it's nothing like the uh, incredibly strong basis that we saw earlier this summer. I'm curious too, you know, looking back at this time last year, we were, you know, this was fall of 2020 was when we kind of started some of the the upward climb for a lot of prices and, and basis as well. Um, you know, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what what is different from this year to last year? What has changed? And do you expect <laughs> there to be, you know, strengthening this harvest season like there was in 2020? Well, last year was such a unique surprise, Sarah, because we had no idea that China was going to step in and buy 900 million bushels of corn. I mean, that that just wasn't on the radar. And of course, you know, we were still trying to come out from under the whole um, oppression from COVID and uh, all, all the turmoil that caused in the first half of the year. So um, this seems to be a much milder situation. Obviously, we're benefiting this year from those tight corn supplies that were left after China bought so much uh, of our corn. And we're still looking for another good year. Uh, you know, I'm thinking maybe 700 million bushels uh, from China. So that that's still going to be a, a very good export season uh, for corn this year. But I don't think we have near as much surprise element this year as we did last year. Last year, we just had no idea how short uh, China was in terms of their grain needs versus their production ability. This year, I think the secret's out and everybody is very aware uh, that China's going to have to be another big buyer, both of corn and soybeans this year. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about COVID um, after we talk about wheat and soybeans. But um, yeah, let, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about soybeans here. Um, I'm curious about, you know, domestic demand um, and what that is looking like in terms of what, you know, I think we've also seen a little bit of weakening on the soybean basis side for sure. What are our supplies still as tight as they've been throughout the year? The, the, the real answer is yes. If we look technically, USDA's ending stocks estimate did go up a little bit from 155 up to 185 million bushels uh, for the new crop season. But that's a very minor increase. And in terms of historically speaking, we're still among the tightest situation, tightest supply situations we've seen in, in two decades. So we, we still have a very tight market. There's not a lot of room for air here uh, in this market. Uh, we could still have some tweaks to the production side that could change that number uh, up and down a bit. But uh, our, our export activity has really picked up. Uh, and that started in the month of August when our U.S. price all of a sudden became cheaper than the price in Brazil. And uh, I attribute that, of course, to China has been such a strong buyer uh, of Brazil's soybeans that uh, they've, they've basically uh, bought much of their crop already this year. And now that's why, even though we don't have a lot of excess supplies at the moment, uh, we are actually uh, the place for China to buy soybeans. And they've been doing that quite actively uh, the past several weeks. And uh, just even again this morning, well, it was a sale to unknown, but we all suspect it's China of 4.8 million bushels. So uh, it, they continue to be a very active buyer in this situation. And as far as I can tell from China's demand clues, there is no let up at all. Their, their internal price at home for soybeans 
is uh, close to $19.50 a bushel, and that's uh, one of their highest prices all year. So they don't show any sign of backing down in their need for soybeans this year. Wow. Do we have any visibility on what is fueling that demand? Is that, you know, a returning that pork, the hog herd to, you know, pre-ASF, um, AFS levels? Uh, no, ASF. Um <laughs> get those acronyms. Um, or is that, you know, other kinds of domestic uses? Do we have an idea? Is there any other factors, in other words, that we can track and have any kind of insight on, you know, whether this it looks like it's going to be up and up for soybean prices or whether they might tap out at some point? Yeah, overall, I think the biggest surprise this summer uh, came just recently. Uh, it was reported that China's exports in the month of August were up 26% from a year ago. Now, to put that into perspective, we had been getting all sorts of news from China that uh, there were major lockdowns going on in cities uh, with COVID concerns. We heard about some port closures, and there was a concern that their GDP was going to drop because uh, they're being so strict about protecting themselves from the Delta variant. But uh, the 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 news seemed to leak out, however, though, that the economy is actually doing quite well. And if we look at the Shanghai Composite Index, which is their uh, the form of their Dow Jones in China, uh, that hit new highs recently. So uh, the the economic optimism doesn't seem to have slowed down one bit this year in China. And I, I think it just continues to play to the ongoing theme that uh, as they get higher standards of living, they want more protein in their diet and soybeans are the crucial ingredient to make that happen. Well, and just plugging in the, uh, you know, livestock part of this conversation and right here is that are, are U.S. Uh, livestock markets seeing any demand pull from that? And is there more demand on the soybean side domestically as a result of that as well? Or are those pretty disassociated from each other? Uh, well, uh, where we see it the most is they've uh, China has been an active buyer of both beef and pork this year. And I think that's also a function of their prosperity. And, uh, of course, we're benefiting a little bit because in Germany they've had reports of ASF, uh, which have kind of cooled uh, China's buying from uh, that part of the world. So uh, our, our exports uh, to China, both on the beef and pork side, uh, seem to be doing quite well this year. Wow. And um, yeah, talk, talk to us a little bit about, you know, domestic demand for soybeans. How is what is crush looking like right now? And, you know, what are the combination of of the global and the the domestic? What is that? What is basis looking like uh, in September? Yes. Well, we saw crush slow down this summer uh, quite a bit. And uh, part of that, uh, I think, was the anticipation that we were not going to have a lot of soybean supplies available this summer. And so a lot of the crush activity was done earlier in the year. Uh, but as we look to the crush margins toward the fall months, uh, we see kind of a restoration of the incentive uh, once again to crush soybeans. And it's still being largely led by soybean oil, which has been uh, the surprise all last year and continues to be this year. So We'll be watching that close, but uh, so far, uh, USDA is estimating a slightly higher crush in the new season, 2.18 billion bushels, uh, just up a little bit from the season that just ended. Todd, we'll be right back to you after this quick word from our sponsor. 
Control your harvest, control your cost, and increase your profit. Sookup Manufacturing is here to help you do it. Sookup Grain Storage, Drying, and Handling Products provide solutions that help you protect and preserve the world's grain supply. And Sookup Steel Buildings protect the tools and equipment you use to produce it. Visit sukup.com to find your local Sookup dealer today and learn how we can help you store now and profit later. Sookup Manufacturing Company, engineering solutions since 1963. And we're back again. Joining us today is DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. Todd, uh, I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about wheat. August was a wild month for wheat uh, in the WASD. And because this whole year, you know, I I was looking at a graph the other day that showed, you know, wheat production in the Northern Plains is down like some 50% this year. Um, You know, what what were the big, what what did we learn about wheat in this WASD? And, you know, is, is it, did it reconfirm what we learned in August or are things, where are things standing uh, come this month? Uh, for the most part, it reconfirmed the August estimates. There were some changes. And uh, so the, the world ending stocks uh, of wheat actually went up 4 million metric tons. But most of that came as a, a revision to demand from the previous year. And traders, when they see those types of like last year revisions, they don't seem to get as rattled by things like that. Uh, those are almost theoretical adjustments <laughs> more than uh, something actual about supplies that people get worried about. When we looked at the crop estimates from around the world, uh, we did see an increase for Australia. That was expected. They've been having good weather. Canada's uh, crop estimate was reduced by 1 million metric ton. That has room probably to go uh, even lower as, as you say, in the Northern Plains, it's been a very, very tough dry year. And that's also been true on the Canadian side of the border. Uh, so there's still room, but overall, we're, we're still looking at roughly the lowest uh, level of ending wheat stocks among the top eight major exporters of the world that we've seen in the past eight years. So that's still a very supportive situation for world wheat prices. And I'm curious, you know, I think the, some of the devil is in the details for wheat. Are, are you watching, what, what are you seeing from different, you know, from spring wheat versus uh, winter wheat? What, you know, is, is there any room there when you look at the kind of different varieties or is it, you know, every variety of wheat equally in dire straits? Well, uh, they're, they're all in a pretty good supportive position this year. But uh, I would say by far and away, it's, it's the hard red spring wheat uh, that has the tightest sits- supply situation on the board. And um, winter wheats are still uh, among the lowest levels they've seen in several years. But in the case of spring wheat, USDA is estimating 111 million bushels of ending stocks for spring wheat. That's the lowest we've seen in 14 years and is a direct result of the very tough drought situations we saw this summer. Uh, so when you look at that just a little bit on our side of the border and realize that the same thing is also happening in Canada, uh, on Tuesday, we're going to get another estimate from Statistics Canada about uh, what they see. And they're going to include uh, what August weather did to their crop this month. So there's a good chance that Canada's crop is going to come down a little farther again here on Tuesday. I'm curious, too, you know, with the extremeness of the weather this year and what has, you know, the tightness in the, in the wheat crop, are you expecting as we look to 2022, which is insane to say more acres switch into wheat out of other 
crops potentially more pressure? And could that put more pressure? You know, you talked about we're looking potentially at this point at a continuing tight situation in corn and soybeans. Could that put even more pressure on these other crops if people see this opportunity in wheat to, you know, maybe switch some acres back into a crop they haven't planted in a while? Yeah, I think that's a very real possibility, mostly in the southwestern plains for winter wheat. And uh, I say that because we've got roughly $7 uh, wheat prices, uh, which uh, looks very good. And you have to remember that uh, a lot of these kind of areas in the western plains uh, largely do better with wheat when the price is right. And so uh, a lot of them have switched to corn and soybeans in the past just because wheat prices were so beat down and they didn't really have any other good alternative. Well, they didn't necessarily get good yields with their corn and soybean plantings, but they, they suffered along and tried to do the best they can. Now that we've got $7 wheat again, I think there will be a temptation to try to plant uh, a little more winter wheat this year. The limiting factor again, though, is going to be drought and especially uh, boy, when you look at the white wheat region in the Pacific Northwest, they're having a tough time. They're finally getting a chance of rain this week. Uh, we'll see what kind of coverage they get, but uh, they really need to get some more moisture up there before they can uh, be excited about planting. Yeah, you know, I think there's always a temptation here as we as we wade into harvest and there's so much uncertainty for this crop until it kind of is all in and accounted for to look ahead to the, to the year to come. And I'm curious, just, you know, we've had man, since we started this podcast like 18 months ago, it has just been, we have stacked up the uncertainties from, you know, the global pandemic to, um, you know, uh, changing policy in DC and an election. And, you know, there's been so many kind of wild cards, but, you know, it seems like the market is one of the big, the market itself is kind of one of the biggest wild cards at this point. Do you expect that we could, you know, as we get into the early part of next year, see just some some big changes to, to, you know, whether that's on the corn and soybean side, whether that's on the wheat side, whether that's, you know, even livestock or, or trade or what are you thinking might, I don't know, what are you going to be watching going into this last part of the year? Yeah. Good questions. Well, of course I always have radar out for what's the next surprise and you, you just uh, kind of hold your breath and uh, get up, get up every morning and wonder if there's something new that uh, hasn't been anticipated before. But aside from those things, uh, you know, I keep in mind that we have not had a decision from this administration yet about the biofuel mandates. And I think that's a big concern uh, on everyone's minds, especially for corn and soybean oil prices. Uh, that's that's going to weigh heavily on this market. Uh, and we need to get some not only short term decision planning there, but some longer term planning. So, you know, industries and, and our our farm community can make plans as to how to adjust uh, to what the future ahead looks like for biofuels. Uh, and we need that ongoing support uh, to uh, give some stability uh, uh, for uh, thinking a little farther than just the next month ahead. Uh, so I, I think that's going to be a big issue uh, in the year ahead. And uh, of course, it's always a tough one because uh, the oil lobby doesn't just lay down and let things happen. So we know there's a lot of opposition uh, to biofuels in Washington, and it's it's going to be a tough concern and has a big impact, of course, on uh, just how attractive uh, that corn is going to be. 
Yeah, I want to talk about COVID for a moment here while we're on the policy subject, because it seems like, you know, we have the Delta variant, we have the, that spread having an effect, you know, in rural communities kind of across the country and also internationally, uh, just creating a lot of uncertainty, uh, potentially having the potential to affect markets. Um, and then we have, you know, the Biden administration coming out wanting to increase requirements or put on, you know, uh, do more mandate type work. Um, I'm curious how you are keeping track you know, going forward, especially as we get back, we were coming out of summer. Summer is generally kind of the safest, most low key months for disease. Now we're going back into regular flu season. Um, you know, colds will be back. Kids are back in school. How are you keeping track of all that, you know, messiness and, and what it might mean for markets? Yeah, that, it's tough to sort out, I'll be honest. And uh, I think one of the encouraging indicators is that we continue to see job growth in the economy. Sometimes it hasn't quite been as strong as expected, but we continue uh, to see people go back to work. And I, I think that's really going to be the important key here, uh, you know, because we all need to get engaged and uh, get, get working again. And uh, that, that's really the only long-term solution for all of this, along with the, the medical help and support uh, that we all need. So to me, that's, that's the real crucial and key indicator of uh, just how healthy not only our economy, but the economies around the world will be. So far, as, as bad as the headlines have been and as bad as some of the statistics have been over the Delta variant, it's encouraging to me that we still are seeing seen uh, some brightness in terms of economic expectation uh, for the year ahead. And so far, we've, we've seen a lot of days where sometimes the market got hit pretty hard because of new COVID concerns, or sometimes they just kind of mount up and, and then we just have one big bearish day for everything. But for the most part, they've kind of erupted in the market as panic attacks and haven't really um, changed or disrupted the overall uh, uh, growth and and functioning of the markets in general. So I think we're very fortunate in that regard that seem, things seem to be improving enough uh, to to keep us from uh, you know being overcome by despair uh, at at a, a bearish vision. We haven't seen that yet. I want to talk a little bit about weather too because we're getting into kind of the uh, well, I want to talk about the recent weather. We've had a couple of hurricanes. There is, you know, Texas is facing down a hurricane as we speak. I'm curious, you know, we don't usually talk on this podcast about things like cotton uh, or, you know, specific regions. But, you know, as you watch, you know, we've seen we saw Hurricane Ida move through the Delta and, you know, over some big uh, corn, soybean producing regions of the country. Uh, as you watch the rest of the storm season, are you worried about harvest delays? Are you worried about crop damage? Um, how are, how do you watch those storms? How do you, and how do you, you know, keep um, in mind how it could affect or how, yeah, how it could affect markets? Yeah. Well, uh, of course we used to rely heavily on Bryce Anderson and now Bryce is retired. So we're relying on John Baranek and he, he's been doing a good job of filling us in. Um, the Hurricane Ida that came through obviously caused a lot of problems, uh, not only for some of the crops in the Delta that got uh, an onslaught of rain, but uh, for our river traffic, which we're still trying to get out from under. 
Uh, and uh, there, there is the good news overall is that there is good progress being made in restoring that river traffic. There's still some facilities down. There's still areas of power outage in Louisiana. And now, uh, just as we're starting to see a little progress here, we have another tropical storm, Nicholas, coming and uh, expected to bring maybe 10 or up to 20 inches of rain to southern Louisiana. So that won't make things uh, any easier. For the most part, it doesn't look like this latest storm is going to go inland too far in either Texas or Louisiana. So that's fairly good news, I think, as far as the crop outlook uh, goes. And, you know, like all weather things, we just continue to monitor that monitor that uh, day by day. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit as well about, you know, the drought and how, from your perspective, how the market is thinking about the drought. You know, I think agriculture farmers in particular are eternal optimists. Everyone, I think all season I've talked to people about, you know, things are looking bad, but if we could get, if we could just get a little rain, you know, at the right moment, at the right spot, you know, it could really turn things around. Largely, we didn't get the right amount of rain at the right time in the right spot this year. You know, some meteorologists, obviously, weather is always a tough predictive game in the long term. But, you know, folks are talking about that this drought could extend well into next year. Is the market already taking that into account? No, uh, it's it's not. And um, (laughs) there there's just as much uncertainty in the year ahead as what we saw last year in terms of weather. Now, uh, again, I'll, I'll credit Bryce. I remember at last year's uh, DTN Egg Summit, his spring outlook was basically that uh, we were going to have a drier northwestern corn belt and a wetter, more moderate uh, eastern corn belt. And um, what I think what we all didn't realize, though, at the time was that pattern was going to basically hold together all year long. <laughs> and so uh, that... that uh, of course, uh, as as each season unfolded, uh, we started to see that the forecast wasn't changing. But, uh, you know, looking one year out is very difficult, and it's still very difficult here in September uh, to imagine what that spring forecast is going to look like. But as far as we can tell for now, uh, over the fall and probably most this winter, we're not going to have a lot of precipitation in that northwestern Corn Belt area. So, uh, there's going to be a lot riding on that spring forecast. It's uh, just too far out for anyone to have a lot of confidence in yet. And uh, I, I do not think that the, the market is reflecting the risk that we have uh, in that situation ahead yet. So that's one of the reasons I'm not too eager here to uh, uh, venture out and make new crop hedges yet. I'd like to uh, hear a little more about uh, what the spring might look like. I think I just have one last question, which is another kind of far, far looking question about, you know, I think we are in terms of policy. This has we just saw this week, I think, a a farm income estimate for 2021 that showed that farm incomes were up significant, not up significantly over last year, but pretty high this year as well, uh, in addition to 2020. And um, things are things are looking good on the farm. You know, we've we knew that was true because of where commodity prices have been throughout 2021. But I'm curious, you know, there will be one hopes a new farm bill in 2023, which means in the next couple months, farm bill conversations will start to uh, get underway in Washington. Uh, The Biden administration has already with the covid um, kind of relief bills started to talk about, you know, increasing 
uh, processing regional processing capacity and, and making some big moves in the agricultural space. You know, I'm curious how you watch that policy and whether the market is responding at all to any of those policy conversations, or is it just too early to be thinking about how that might impact um, markets in the future? Well, I would say for the most part, uh, traders are real practical people. And uh, so far, I think that policy talk is a little too theoretical to get reflected much uh, into the market. But uh, just as a market analyst and someone who's trying to understand the egg markets, uh, obviously, these are some very big topics that have big impacts on uh, what our markets look like moving forward. We, uh, as I mentioned, the biofuels uh, policy issue is a big uh, part uh, where some decisions need to be made for the longer term. Uh, we also have a, a livestock sector, especially among cattle producers, where they are not in a competitive market and uh, are feeling the brunt of that. And of course, uh, the safety net is always a very important feature. And even though, you know, uh, we're going to have some producers that make fantastic amounts of money this year. I mean, if you're in Illinois, you're not only getting fantastic yields, you're also getting some terrific prices uh, for your corn and soybeans this year. In the Dakotas and Minnesota, it's a little tough because uh, a lot of those areas didn't get much of a crop. And so, that uh, safety net feature is important as always. And uh, if, if we're going to have, a, you know, a commitment to producers in the long term for them to be there for us, we need to also be there for them in tough times. You can read Todd's full analysis and up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag markets at dtnpf.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer with special thanks to Todd Holtman. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. Control your harvest, control your cost, and increase your profit. Sookup Manufacturing is here to help you do it. Sookup offers a full line of bins ranging from small on-farm storage bins to large commercial tanks, including our 2.2 million bushel bin, the world's largest free-span bin. All Sookup bins are constructed from high-grade steel. Visit sukup.com to find your local Sookup dealer today and learn how we can help you store now and profit later.